We have been in a series on prayer, and we have been noting together so far that we have to have a proper knowledge of God in order to properly pray. We've also noted in a separate message that we need to have a proper knowledge of Satan in order to properly pray. You remember when Jesus spoke to the woman at the well at the hottest time of the day, he said to her in John 4, verse 10, he said, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Her problem was she lacked a proper knowledge of him. And because she lacked a proper knowledge of him, she didn't ask for what she could have asked. So it is with us. We must have a proper knowledge of God in order to have a proper prayer life. It wasn't just the proper knowledge of God that we've seen is necessary for proper praying. We also need to have a proper knowledge of Satan. Now, that may strike you as a little odd, that we would need to have a proper knowledge of Satan in order to properly pray. What we've learned together is that Satan is real. He is diabolical. He is organized. He is a defeated foe, but he wants to take down as many persons as possible with him. We said that Satan is like an armed robber in a bank robbery that went wrong for him. He's trapped inside the bank. He's temporarily holding all the money, and he's temporarily holding the employees and the customers of the bank hostage temporarily. He realizes the police have surrounded the bank and that there's only one of two possible ways out. Either he's going to come out with arms and hands raised and surrender, or he is going to come out dead in a body bag. Those are the two options. Satan understands that. And so right now in his diabolical planning and scheming, he is trying to disqualify us from service for the Savior, and he is a murderer. He'd love to see us prematurely die. Ephesians 6.18 is the closing parenthesis on the passage on the armor of God. We went over the armor of God together last Sunday, and all the pieces of the armor were listed. It was noted that we have to put those pieces on daily and that we have to put those pieces on for ourselves. No one else can put the armor of God on you. You must. We see at the end of that list of the pieces of the armor of God that prayer is what puts the armor on you, and prayer is what keeps the pieces of armor in place on you. Ephesians 6.18, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit, and with this in view, be on the alert, with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. The verse says, you better pray if you want the armor of God on, you better pray. And you better pray for all your brothers and sisters that they'll have the armor of God on too. Prayer proper knowledge of Satan gives us a proper prayer life. Now, we come to the third and final message in this mini prayer series. We've seen proper knowledge of God is necessary. We've seen proper knowledge of Satan is necessary. Now, this morning, we see that a proper knowledge of ourselves is necessary if we would have a proper prayer life. And you say, what do I need to know about myself properly? Two things at least. You need to know about your problems, and you need to know about your potentials. Problems and potentials. 
When we understand what our problems are, we're like the cardiac disease patient who discover he has heart disease and he changes how he eats, how he exercises, and what medications he takes. And when we properly understand our potentials, we are like the diligent high school student who comes to understand the possibility for her to earn a full academic scholarship at a fine college. And so she knuckles down, she studies, she burns the midnight oil so that she could qualify for the scholarship. If you are properly going to pray, you're going to have to have proper knowledge of your problems, and you're going to have proper knowledge about your potentials. So let's get into the problems. Let's get them out of the way first. I have six problems. This is not an exhaustive list, but is a list for you and I to consider. The first problem that we need to face that we have is that the biggest problem, my biggest problem, is me. I have no bigger problem than me. That is because the first problem I want to point out to us is we all have flesh. And flesh is at odds and at war with the Holy Spirit within us as believers. The Holy Spirit is at war with our flesh. The flesh is at war with our spirit, the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5 gives the listing of the deeds of the flesh and the contrary listing of the fruit of the Spirit. And so when we understand that we have flesh and that's a problem, then we understand that every sin is an inside job. Every sin is an inside job. Romans 7, 18, for I know that nothing good dwells in me. May I parenthetically say in my flesh? I know that nothing good in my flesh dwells in me. That is in my flesh for the willing for the willing is present in me to obey God. The willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. Sound like a page out of your hymn book? Sounds like a page out of my hymn book. I have flesh. And because I have flesh, all sin that I commit is an inside job because my flesh can overrule the Holy Spirit. That's a problem. The second problem we all need to face is that we are overconfident. We are overconfident. Listen to 1 Corinthians 10, 12. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. The biggest danger you are in is when you think you can't fall. The biggest danger I am in is when I look at a sin, I say, I would never fall into that sin. We are overconfident. And when we're overconfident, we don't pray. We are prayerless. We have an approach in our minds if we don't say it out loud, is I've got this one, Lord. I'm good. Don't need to talk to you about that. So our first problem, we have flesh. The second problem, we are overconfident. The third problem, we are lazy. We are lazy. Romans 15.30. Now I urge you, brethren, by the Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive, to strive together with me in your prayers. To strive together with me in your prayers. Do you know that prayer is striving? Are you aware that prayer is hard work? It is. Colossians 4, verse 12. Epaphras, who is one of your number, a bond slave of Jesus Christ, sends you his greetings, always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers. 
Do you realize that your prayer life is a prayer life that involves earnest laboring? Laziness will punch your prayer life, and your prayer life will punch laziness. The two don't go together. And you say, Pastor Rob, I'm not sure I'm lazy. I mean, I pray a lot. You know, what do you expect? I pray pretty well. Our laziness best shows up when we fail to pray. Ever rushed as fast as you possibly could through your prayer list? Ever fallen asleep while you're praying? Ever totally lost your focus while praying? Ever thought of all of the other things that you need to do right while you're praying? Ever procrastinated about praying? Ever made prayer the last thing in your day instead of the first? Laziness in prayer is epidemic in the body of Christ. Ever given up praying for someone or for some situation? Oh, I've prayed for them for a month. I'm just going to stop praying and pray for somebody else. Laziness is an enemy to a proper prayer life. There's more. The fourth problem I'd like to point out is that we often think that we know best. (laughs) We often think that we know better than God knows. Jonah had that problem. God said, go to Nineveh, the great city, and preach a seven-word sermon and and have the uh, Assyrians trust in me. Jonah says, I know better than that. I'm taking off in a ship the opposite direction. I hate those guys. I'm afraid of those guys. I'm going to do what I'm going to do. Often we do that too. Sometimes when we think we know best, sometimes we pray like we're informing God of the best outcome. Lord, I've analyzed all the possible solutions here, and it's clear to me that number three is the best solution. Give me number three. I claim it in faith, believing. Really? Sometimes we pray as though God is a vending machine, that you put your uh, $3 bills into the vending machine, and you push the button, and it's obligated to give you a chocolate bar. And we come to God, we say, God, I'm coming to you in Jesus' name. I'm coming to you with faith, believing you can move mountains. Give me X, Y, Z. After all, I put in the currency in this whole deal, and you're the vending machine. Sometimes we think that we know best. Sometimes we pray, my will be done prayers. Not thy will be done prayers, but my will be done prayers. When a person prays, my will be done prayers, they bolt rudely into heaven and say, God, I'm here. When a person prays, thy will be done prayers, that person goes humbly, meekly, uh, uh, respectfully into heaven and says, Lord, you are there. What a difference. Yeah, we think that we know best, and that can be an enemy to a proper prayer life. Number five, we get idols. We get idols with great ease. We buy them with cash. We buy them with credit. We get them in our sleep. We get them while we're awake. We get ourselves idols like crazy. Jesus, the risen Christ, said to the church in Revelation 2, verse 4, but I have this against you. 
you have left your first love. Jesus wants no number two on the hit parade chart in your heart. Jesus deserves number one, your first love. And idols compete and tear down that affection as first love for Christ. Some of you love the hymn as I do, Come Thou Fount. A man named Robert Robinson wrote the hymn in a bygone day. And after Robert Robinson wrote, Come Thou Fount, he fell into personal sin and compromise and went away from Christ and went away from the church of Christ. And one night, he had a lady friend in a horse-drawn carriage. That's how old the story is. And they were driving along on a country dirt road past a small country church in the summer with all the windows open for ventilation. And he heard, come thou fount of. And he stopped. And he listened. Then he started weeping. And his girlfriend said, what, what, what's the matter? said, I wrote that hymn, and I have gone away from Christ. That is going to change. Idols, they just come in so insipidly, so gradually, it seems. So never underestimate the ability of the human heart to make idols, but more importantly, never underestimate the power of your human heart to make idols. And once an idol is made in my heart, it doesn't take but a few hours for it to go to seed and want to plant other idol plants in the weeds in my mind, in my heart, my affections. Maybe it is. Not maybe it is. It is true for all of you. Sixth and final problem that we have to have a knowledge of if we're going to properly pray is that we are in a Christless world system. When we go to work tomorrow, when you go to summer school tomorrow, when you go to your jobs tomorrow, you do not go to those things on a level playing field where people are neutral about Christ. You and I transact, study, be neighbors, parent on a playing field that's a war zone. That a world system that cheerfully leaves Jesus Christ out of everything is impinging upon us. It's like if you were out in a boat far from the shore and you found out that you have a very slow but real leak in the hull of the boat. As you fire up the outboard, you have Either you're going to bail water or you're going to sink. Your choice. The world... The system, the worldview that cheerfully leaves Jesus out of everything is coming in through the leak in our boats, which is our flesh. And so we had better bail or we will sink. Sink into a failed testimony. Seek into a failed marriage. Sink into a violated neighbor relationship with the person next door. We had better bail because our boat is floating in a Christless world system and the boat of our lives has holes in it because we still have flesh. 
Okay, so let's circle back. What's the solution to these six problems? Really quickly, the first problem, we have flesh. The solution is walk and live controlled by the Holy Spirit. The second problem, we are, are overconfident. That is we need to learn our flesh patterns. What triggers sin in me? I'll tell you some things that trigger sin in me. When I'm hungry, I sin in my thoughts and my attitude. When I'm overworked, when I'm physically depleted, it's a trigger for me to have too many words in my mouth that are all critical of other people. I've learned that over the years about my flesh patterns. If I look at my checkbook, and I haven't got a a foresight as to how all the pennies, nickels, dimes, and quarters are going to be in place for whatever my expenses are, my flesh pattern triggers, and I get worried. You all have flesh patterns. You need to know what triggers sin in you. That's a cure for being overconfident. As far as being lazy, uh, set proper prayer goals. If you've been lazy in prayer, then set a proper prayer goal. I know one thing, that if I'm going to start jogging, I have to start. <laughs> I may only be able to run a 1,000 yards. Start. Run a 1,000 yards for five days and then try to run 2,000 yards for five days. And then run... 20,000 yards for five days. You get the point. If you are at a standstill, if you are not off the dime, and you find yourself out of shape with respect to prayer, then set a goal starting tomorrow morning that you would pray for two minutes. Set your smartphone for an alarm for two minutes, and you pray. And when the thing goes off, stop. Do that for a week. Up your stamina and your endurance in prayer gradually. Maybe a way you could make that kind of a commitment to get off the dime and stop being lazy about praying is to come to the prayer meeting tomorrow night. What is the remedy? What is the remedy for the problem of knowing best, at least thinking we do, knowing best better than God? Jesus' words let the little children come to me. See, his disciples saw these little kids running around at the picnic, and he thought, this is an annoyance. Jesus is far more important than this. Jesus' time is valuable. All these grown-ups want to learn about the truth and about heaven, the kingdom of God. These little kids, who are these little kids? Where are their parents anyway? Jesus said, let the little kids come to me and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. Do you understand if you're saved, you're a little kid? A child, your heavenly father's child. So if you want to get past the error of thinking that you know best, see yourself for who you are. You're a little kid to the heavenly father. What about idols? How do we deal with idols that spring up in our minds and our hearts so readily? Well, there's a worship quote I want to give you from Paul Tripp. Corporate worship is designed to confront you with the glory of the grace of Jesus. So you won't look for life, help, or hope elsewhere. When we come together to worship, a primary objective in heaven is that we will see 
the marvelous, sufficient grace of Jesus being enough so that we don't have to run to anything or anyone else for comfort, protection, guidance, or provision. When we run to anything else other than Jesus Christ and his grace, we have run to an idol. And so, what about the sixth and last problem? The problem that we are in a Christless world system. A Christless world system. Well, we take the first uh, diet of the news for the day from the Bible, not chicken noodle news. Oh, I mean the cable news network. CNN. We don't take our first diet of what's going on any given day from television. We take it from the Bible. We take it from our times of prayer with God where we speak with him from our hearts and he lays impressions upon our hearts as we pray. By the way, remember that? Victory and thanksgiving. That'll turn a few heads at the water cooler. Are we going to be under the circumstances as believers, or are we going to be over the circumstances as believers? If God supplied for us with the lower VAT rate, can we trust him to supply for us at the higher VAT rate? Are we going to walk around sour-faced, negative, angry, and be a poor testimony for Christ? I hope not. Charlene Stewart was the one who coined that. Victory and Thanksgiving. I got to give her credit. She said, if there are royalties, I'll take the money. (laughs) (laughs) Now we move from problems that we need to adequately understand in order to have adequate prayer lives to our potentials. We have six potentials at least that I want to share with you very quick. One potential is that we are to be trophies of God's grace, both here and now and ultimately in heaven. We see here that we are to be trophies of God's grace here and now. Ephesians 1.12, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. Are you to the praise of his glory? On a good day, Pastor. Are you to the praise of his glory? When people see you raising your children, loving your wife or your husband, being a friend, when people see those things, do they say, man, she's to the praise of Christ's glory? He's to the praise of Christ's glory. But it's not just the here and now that we are to be trophies of God's grace. Ultimately, according to Jude 24 and 25, we will be perfect trophies of his grace, to the praise of his glory in a supreme way, without fault or inconsistency. Luke 24 and 25, excuse me, Jude 24 and 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, no sin, and to make you to stand in the presence of his glory, blameless, that's holy, with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. So it's not just a showcasing of you in the here and now, 
that you ought to be to the praise of his glory, a trophy of his grace. But ultimately, when you see Jesus, either through physical death or through the rapture of the church, when you see Jesus, you're made to be like Jesus, 1 John 3, verse 2, then perfectly, consistently, absolutely, you will be to the praise of Christ. You will be perfectly a trophy of his grace. And so that's our first potential that ought to inform how we pray. I think of the, the saying I have heard more than once in my 30 years of being a pastor. It's the unbeliever who says, if you want me to be saved, you better look a lot more saved yourself. Right between the eyes. The unbeliever who says, if you want me to be saved, you better look a lot more saved yourself. I had one person tell me when I shared the gospel with him after knowing him for years, he said, do you really believe that? That the only way to heaven is through Jesus and everybody else goes to hell? Do you really believe that? I said, yes. He goes, then why in the world did you wait this long to give me the truth? Ouch. The second potential is that we are ambassadors for Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Uh, Of course, an ambassador is an official representative of another sovereign country while living in a different sovereign country. And so the American ambassador represents the White House and political policy and uh, legislation here in the Bahamas. We are ambassadors for Christ. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father from whence he will come to judge the living and the dead, but right now he's in heaven at the Father's right hand. We are on earth. (laughs) We are ambassadors. Our decisions, our priorities, our investments should reflect our decisions, priorities, and investments of Christ in heaven. We represent Jesus in a foreign land. Number three, we are letters which are read by others. We, we could say emails which are read by others. We are letters which are read by others. Second Corinthians 3.2, Paul writing to a church at Corinth, you are our letter, written in our hearts, known and read by all men. You are realizing you're being read. From afar, you're being read. For some of you whose spouse is not a Christian, you are being read from the other side of the bed. You are being read. We're all being read. We are letters. I think of the true story of the person who got on the bus, the public transit bus, and paid the fare for the bus with a large bill, and the bus driver gave change to the rider. The rider walked back to the back of the bus and sat down and counted his money and saw that he had been given too much change. So he went up to the front to the bus driver and said, excuse me, you gave me too much change. And the bus driver said, I know that I did. I did it on purpose to see what you as a Christian would do with it. Or I think about the Christian family whose neighbors were antagonistic to the church And one early morning, the Christians went out to do something in their garage, and they heard someone in their trash can. And they went over, and here was the neighbor who hates Jesus and going through the trash of the Christian. 
Hey, man, can I help you? What are you doing? Oh, I'm going through your trash to see if anything contradicts who you say about Jesus. We're letters read by others, and we should pray in light of that. I think of a true story, too, of a remote tribal people group that were on a mountain, and some Presbyterian missionaries believed that they were the first missionaries to that village, and they went with excitement to come to know and love the villagers and to tell them about the gospel and Jesus. After they were there for some months, as they were describing Jesus more and more through the Bible, the villagers said, oh, oh, yeah, 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 we know him. Oh, yeah, he lived here. And so the missionaries didn't know what to make of that. So the villagers said, come with us, come with us. And they went up to the top of the mountain, and here was a grave of a missionary who had lived and worked with the tribe. And he lived so much like Jesus. He was such a letter that lined up with Jesus that when the villagers heard the description of Jesus from the Bible, they thought the dead missionary was Jesus. We are letters which are read by others. Number four, we have preordained good works to do. Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. When you believe that, you pray to God to show you the good works he has for you to do each day. Your good works are unique to you. My good works are unique to me. Number five, we house the Holy Spirit and we can display his fruit. 1 Corinthians 6, 18 and 19, flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own When we understand that we are a portable, moving, tabernacle, temple for God, (laughs) then we don't pray, oh, God, come to my office. Because God comes to your office every time you go to your office. Now live it out. And we can display his fruit The fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, is nothing we can produce in ourselves or muster up. But when we walk controlled and filled by the Holy Spirit in obedience to Scripture, then the Holy Spirit produces the fruit on the branches of our lives. So it will display the fruit for others to admire, and the others can pick the fruit and be refreshed. Is that how it works on your branches? Sixth, we are adopted children of God. Listen to Matthew 7, 9 to 11. Or what man is there among you who, when his son asks for a loaf, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he, he will not give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? You, if you are saved, are God's son or daughter. You came into the family of God by adoption. What we like to say to our adopted children is that we chose you. And we did. You are adopted children of God because he chose you, and he did. And so that's a wonderful way to properly pray. 
as an adopted child of the Father, we should resemble God the Father. The apple shouldn't fall far from the tree. People should look at us and say, I see your Father in you. I see your Savior in you. Gandhi, years ago, was investigating truth, trying to understand what was truth. And he said this, I like your Christ, but I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. One of the reasons he said that was before he settled in the religion he settled in, he went to a Christian church to worship and to find out about what this faith was all about. When he got to the back door of the church, the ushers prevented him from coming in to worship because he was of the wrong caste. And so later he said, I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. These are six things that if we understand our potentials, will really form and shape our praying. I want to tell you a story of a seven-year-old boy. He is a shy and a nervous child. And bullies give him a hard time each day when he walks to school. The boy adores his daddy. To him, his daddy can solve any problem. To him, his daddy is so big and strong and caring and smart. And so let me ask you, will that boy ask his daddy for help with his problems? Of course he will. He has a problem. He believes that his daddy will understand and care about his problem. He believes that his daddy can solve the problem. He knows that his daddy is not at work between 8 and 8.30 in the mornings, and so he's sure that his daddy would be willing to walk him to school if he asked him. So do you think, again, that he will ask his dad for help? Of course he will. The boy knows his problem, and he knows his daddy. And he knows that things can be a whole lot better with his daddy's help. May we be like that little boy. Now, let me tell you about a 17-year-old girl who has distanced herself from her father, who doesn't want to be daddy's little girl anymore, who hides all of her problems from her dad, the 17-year-old girl who won't sit down with her daddy like she used to, who is too big for her britches, who figures that asking for help is only for weaklings, the 17-year-old girl who is getting into wrong ways but who defends those ways when her parents correct her, the 17-year-old girl who is sure that everything is fine when, in fact, everything is far from fine, who figures that her daddy is out of touch, thinks that her daddy is behind the times. She runs with the wrong crowd away from her dad and away from her mother. She's a 17-year-old girl who discounts the value of her father's advice, who is proud and stubborn and strong-willed. Let me ask you, do you think that this girl will ask her daddy for help? Of course she won't. She doesn't think that she has any problems that need help. And she doesn't expect her dad to assist her. And she doesn't want her dad to even try. This girl will not ask her daddy for any help at all. 
Don't be like the 17-year-old girl. Think about this as we begin to close. God is referred to as Father about 24 times in the Old Testament. God is referred to Father as Father in the New Testament over 200 times. And so the point of all Scripture is that God, the Father, is your Father if you are a believer. And that truth extends and leads to another truth. As a believer, you are a little kid compared to God the Father. You are a little kid, an elementary school-age child, a daughter or a son of God the Father. And so wise is the Christian who remembers this by humbly and lovingly crawling up into his daddy Abba Father's figurative lap for help and comfort. Praying to daddy is having a chat while you're sitting in his figurative lap, welcomed and loved. Elvis Presley sang a song that has a line which I'm not sure is true. It is no secret what God can do. Oh, I have met Christians that it is a secret what God could do because they never pray. They pray perhaps sporadically or superficially, and it's a secret to them what God can do. We've only scratched the surface of him when we have that outlook. We as not as yet have gotten to, tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word, just to rest upon his promise, just to know, thus saith the Lord, Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, watch it, how I've proved him, or and or. Have you proved him or and or? Have you prayed to him enough to prove him or and or? Three dollars worth of God by Wilbur Reese with some adaptation. I would like to buy three dollars worth of God, please. Not enough to explode my soul or disturb my sleep, but just enough to equal a cup of warm milk or a snooze in the sunshine. I don't want enough of God to make me love those I dislike or to pick beets with a migrant. I want ecstasy, not transformation. I want warmth of the womb, not a new birth. I want a pound of the eternal in a paper sack. I would like to buy $3 worth of God. Obviously, you and I should never settle for $3 worth of God, just scratching at the surface of God, just putting up only emergency, urgent, desperation prayers like this oxygen mask on an airplane. Give me $3 worth of God is that kind of praying. But God calls us to oxygen praying, to breathing praying, to not unceasingly praying. And so therefore, let us, each one, 
attempt to plumb the depths of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Let us attempt to plumb the depths of the triune God through prayer. To prove him or and or. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word, just to know, just to rest upon his promise, just to know, thus saith the Lord, Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I've proved him o'er and o'er, Jesus, Jesus. Precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more. Father, we would individually crawl into your lap, not at all settling for three dollars worth of you, not happy just to scratch the surface of you. Lord, make us individually and corporately to be an oxygen-praying church, praying as often as we breathe. Deliver us, Lord, from reducing prayer to emergency oxygen mask if the cabin pressure falls too low. Father, may we know you, may we know Satan, and may we know ourselves. May it be to each of us no secret what you can do, because we pray about everything and then watch you work. Lord, we pray that the strong attendance for the summer prayer meeting of last Monday would continue and grow tomorrow night. Lord, we are sure that the only way that this local church will advance is on our knees in prayer. Make us to be a praying people, for we ask this in Jesus' name and for Jesus' sake. And God's little children said, Amen.